Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Welcome, Sky community. We have an exciting episode today with Dr. Alale Akavan. She is a board-certified dermatologist and the founder of Joyful Dermatology in Dobbs Ferry, New York. Dr. Akavan helps her patients navigate the unnecessarily complicated world of skincare and dermatology services to experience what will truly make them look and feel their best for years to come. Along the way, she's working to change the conversation around beauty and to fundamentally transform the way women speak to themselves. Welcome, Dr. Akavan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. Ever since I heard you present your concept of joyful dermatology, I was in. I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad. So tell us about joyful dermatology. So joyful dermatology was, as you said, created to have a really self-affirming space for women and men, but most, you know, I, I gear it towards women who are interested in finding out like what they should do for their skin. And it's a place where not only will you know exactly what to do and when to do it, but you also are sort of, in my mind, I keep my patients safe from doing all the things out there that I just feel like they shouldn't be doing. The world of skincare is just increasingly complicated and there's, we're being constantly marketed to, and it's just really, really difficult to tell what is legitimate, what isn't, what you need, what you don't, where to put your dollars, where to put your time and who to trust your skin to. And so with all of that in mind, I created Joyful to make everything as uncomplicated as possible and as safe as possible for my patients. I love that because it is complicated. There's so many products out there and trying to compare and make sense of what works for you and what you should really spend your money on is hard. So give us your top things. First of all, top things that we shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. and then your favorite skincare regimen. Like All the right. basics. Okay. So I think one of the most important things in general for women is that you can't fully trust yourself. So you have to find the person that you really do trust. And what I mean by that is that very often patients will come in and there's something about themselves that's bugging them, right? There's some a, one particular line, one area here. Oh, my jowls are a little this way or that way. There's something that they're seeing, but they lost the ability to see themselves as an entire whole person. You know, my mother used to say to me, you are not a collection of parts. You know, like I would say, oh, my feet are big and my hair is this and my nose is this. And she'd say, nobody sees that. We see you as a whole person. And that's something that can be very, very easy sort of to forget. So one of the phrases I like to say is don't chase the before and after. That before and after shot is used over and over again in Instagram, YouTube channels, et cetera, to be like, look, like this could be your transformation. But chasing that is the fastest way to making yourself look weird. (laughs) So I think small incremental changes over time where someone is looking at you holistically, there's an honest discussion about what your long-term goals are, and you're doing things just slowly and incrementally and doing things that are optimal for your skin health is the way to go. So that 10 years from now, you haven't taken the slow turn towards looking very weird. That's great advice. 
like we have to trust ourselves, you know, and our intuition, but also you're absolutely correct that we do focus in on that. Like mine is my melasma and these new lines that I'm seeing that I didn't have before, right? And you just start picking it apart and you can go down this spirally road until you don't even recognize yourself. So oh, absolutely. And even trying to be, you know, with many things we teach patients to be, you know, educated shoppers and try to try to see what they're being advertised to. And it's different when you're realizing that you're wearing the same color shirt as everyone in a season because it seems to be on trend, but it's a much more dangerous thing if you're doing things that are trendy because you're being sold this over and over again in, in small ways. And so, for example, last year in my practice in Manhattan, um, I'm opening a practice in the suburbs of New York now, but I, I was in Manhattan before. I all of a sudden was doing tons and tons of jawline filler. Like patients would walk in and say, oh, I want my jawline, my chin filled. And it was absolutely the beauty trend where all of a sudden people needed this Herculean like jawline in women. And then it was like the year before it was almost none. Nobody wanted it. And all of a sudden it was like one of the most asked for fillers. So that's just a beauty trend. And so to me, that is not the kind of thing to chase. If clearly if someone needs some balancing in their chin or whatever, we, that's doable. But I don't believe that the general population needs to have their chin filled, you know, things like that. Right. So a couple of thoughts came to mind as you were talking. Mm -hmm. One, hopping from providers to get your aesthetics or bargain basement hunting your aesthetics online, you know, like the Groupon. <laughs> what are your thoughts there? <laughs> it's a fast way to get in trouble, right? It's a fast way to get in trouble. You are better than a Groupon. Just remember that. Tell, make that your mantra. I am better than a Groupon. Again, the stakes are really high. This isn't a massage, right? This is a big thing. And this is, can have a long-term consequence for what you do one burn, one inappropriate thing can truly be like life altering for someone. And so it is much better if you're, for example, on a budget, there is no rush. You are not in a rush there. You're not behind in a skincare game. You don't need to do something immediately. It is much better in my mind to save up your money, make this a, a goal, like a luxury item goal as it is, and go to someone by someone, I mean, a board certified dermatologist and get the appropriate procedure for you that's again optimizing skin health and and is going to be just make you feel wonderful and to save your money for that then to get lots and lots of sort of mediocre procedures it's again it's a very quick way to end up looking super strange okay so top things that you shouldn't be doing you've touched on a few so should not be doing one is like i said being aware of beauty trends so jumping on the trend train every single time something new comes up and being like well now i must change everything right that's that's huge and trying to be sort of more educated than that. And, and I hope, and it's hard, it's hard. And that's honestly part of why I've created Joyful for myself is to help guide people through what's sort of out there and what's really necessary. The second is feeling like you have to do all of it, right? So I must use all the products that they say, and I must do all of these things, but being more curated than that is definitely a much better way to take care of your skin. You're much less likely to have reactions. You're actually more likely to be able to tell what is effective for you and what isn't. When you use a ton of things at once, there's no way to know. Another thing is falling for some of the marketing in terms of clean beauty or natural and organic products or things like that. You have to be really careful who you watch in this field. And a lot of those products are, are truly, truly, purely marketing. There is no industry standard for what makes skincare clean. Skincare is actually very regulated in this country. So there is no such thing. There is no such thing as an organic product that is better than an inorganic product. It, it doesn't, you know, I always say poison ivy is as organic as it gets, and it's not a great idea to smear it on your face. So you can't, you can't just go with that. So I think that's a really intense trap that people fall into. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a big movement for more organic, well, especially like in the infertility world, right? They're talking about clean beauty. And, and so how do we decipher that? Help us. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of it is just keeping it very, very simple. So that in the things that you are using, you, you know, again, the more things you have, the more you're looking in every direction and chasing all the balls and trying to try to figure it all. It gets very, very complicated. So keeping it very, very simple and finding some sources that you trust is one of the ways to do it. So one of the things that also I feel like happens, for example, in the infertility world where patients will come to me and say, oh, I'm interested in stuff. But my doctors just said, well, stop everything while you're doing this right? Like just stop, stop doing everything. Or they'll say, well, just wait till after you have your baby and then you can get started on skincare again. Right. And then, and then when they have their baby, everyone says, oh, well, just wait until you're done breastfeeding. I mean, don't worry. It's not really the time to think about it. And while I think it's really important to realize that like, again, you're not behind, there is no rush. I think it's really short-sighted because many women, I always joke that I've been pregnant for the last 10 years. I have three little girls and I've been pregnant or nursing someone for a very long time now. I feel you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) but I feel like it's sort of a little lazy to just say, just forget it all until it's done. So if if there's specific, you know, skincare goals, we can work around it. My infertility patients, we can even do things like I love resurfacing procedures, procedures that create new collagen, get rid of old sun damage, they're fundamentally healthy for your skin. So my, would I do it on a pregnant woman? No. Are you automatically pregnant because you're undergoing infertility treatment? No. Right. So we would, I would say, come on in when you have your period or come on in when you, right before you have an implantation. So we would time things and, and make things that make sense for the woman's, you know, life. And I think my patients are just really grateful for that job to just to be written off, you know? Right. Right. So you brought up like my cup of tea. A lot of my patients are in their childbearing years or planning a family. So let's talk about pregnancy and postpartum skincare. Let's do it. Like I said, this is a really particularly sensitive time for women. One, I do feel like that's an, that's a specific time that you're sort of feeling extra careful or you want to be really careful and sacred with your body. And so that actually I think makes you very prime for that marketing that I mentioned, that sort of natural marketing. So one big thing is, you know, remove things that are tech are truly not pregnancy safe. We can talk about that, but don't all of a sudden be like, Oh, pregnant must scrap everything and start all over again, because all of a sudden you're introducing yourself to all this new stuff that's out there. You know, another thing that's very specific is your body is in flux. The hormonal environment of a pregnant woman is constantly changing. So you'll have a patient that comes in and they have really terrible uh, outbreak of acne right when they first find out they're pregnant. And then I always say to them, don't panic. Like we can treat this, but you don't necessarily need a hard hitting acne treatment because for many of those women in a week or two, it's completely gone and they are glowing the rest of the pregnancy, right? So you don't want to make, make a really big long-term moves during that time because your, your skin is constantly in flux. But there are some things, like I said, we can do in pregnancy. So one of the things that patients um, bring up a lot is hyperpigmentation or skin darkening during pregnancy. It's a huge concern for a lot of women. And so melasma is the, you know, the darkening that people get. We call it the mask of pregnancy is the other term for it. It can affect the upper lip and the, and around the cheek. So one of the things I like for that is there's a product called azelaic acid, a compound, and it can come in a prescription form. There's a, there's a prescription product called Phoenicia. It can come in an over-the-counter form. There's one that I like from the ordinary. It's a 10% azelaic acid solution. And azelaic acid is a naturally occurring compound in the body, and you're just applying it on top of the skin. It's considered to be safe in pregnancy. And why I like it is it's a treatment for acne, for rosacea, and for melasma. 
If you were not pregnant, would this be my number one treatment for acne rosacea or melasma? No, it's not an absolute hard hitting medication, but it covers all three pretty well. And so when patients are using it, particularly during their pregnancy, if they're noticing a little acne rosacea, which often happens from just the hormonal changes, using that as lake acid can keep you from getting uh, the melasma. But the most important thing with melasma is your sunscreen. Is not a suggestion. <laughs> it is an absolute must. And it should be from day one. I, I tell my patients to use a mineral sunscreen. And my favorite is there's a brand called, there's La Roche-Posay Mineral Tinted is my favorite one. I can say it again, La Roche-Posay Mineral Tinted. And it's a nice mineral sunscreen that just sits on the surface of your skin and it makes your skin look beautiful, which just feels good. And we'll keep the sun from causing that darkening that's there. Plus hats, plus sunglasses. Really, really, really be protective of your face during pregnancy for those reasons. Okay. Pregnant or not, I know when we're in the sun, people are really good about reapplying their sunscreen every two hours. However, we put our sunscreen on in the morning before makeup. Are we supposed to be reapplying it when we're just like doing our normal activities, going to work, at the grocery store, et cetera? So what I always tell my patients is that I know you're not going to. So to me, the most effective sunscreen is the one that you do. Okay. So telling you, yes, you must reapply it every two hours. I don't believe for a second, the vast majority of my patients are doing it. Right. So what is my, what is my next favorite thing for you to do is I like powdered sunscreens. So yes. I don't use powder sunscreens as your primary sunscreen. And the reason I don't like your powder sunscreen as your primary is that it doesn't evenly apply. So you're going to miss spots. It's not like a perfectly even application. It doesn't really have great lasting power. But what I have patients do is apply that mineral sunscreen that really is quite thick. So you, your skin, it, it feels nice in nicer formulations, but it's definitely thicker than the sunscreen you're used to. So I put on a nice layer of the mineral sunscreen in the morning. And then I have you, you know, if you're going out to lunch, go, walking out to grab lunch or going to your car or whatever, you just dust on the powder sunscreen before you walk out the door. It is imperfect, but it's better than you were going to do otherwise. And so I, I take it. I accept it. I will. That's good enough for me. I love that. Okay. So I picked some up yesterday, actually, because oh. I <laughs> was like, I need a middleman because I'm not going to reapply sunscreen yeah. in my face in the middle of the day. It's just not going to happen. So well, um, because it kind of like absorbs some oils. It, it almost is like a little dusting of, you know, a little makeup you dust. It's nice. Yeah. And you can get it. I know it comes translucent and then different okay. shades. So that's kind of nice. Do you have one that you favor over others? Yeah. I um, like the color science. The brand is color science. And it comes, like you said, in translucent various shades. But again, the one I like is the one that you use. So if there's one that's closer <laughs> to your house and they sell it nearby and you like it, as long as it doesn't have a bunch of random ingredients, it doesn't need again, like simple is better to me. As long as it's, you know, a nice, simple, regular sunscreen, like a dusting mineral. I don't really care what you use. Okay. The one, this is the one that I like. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you touched on melasma. You touched on the things that we can use in pregnancy and mm -hmm. we can do facials in pregnancy, right? So what about, no, you're making a face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love, okay. So unpopular opinion alert here, but I don't love facials in general. I think that it is a short-term improvement. So what are most facials doing is they're taking what are, I call sebaceous filaments, oil clogged pores, et cetera. But that's really a short-term improvement, but it can have a longer-term consequence of scarring, et cetera. I don't like people at touching people's faces and there's just absolutely no need for it. So I don't know. I don't, I don't do facials or like them, but in pregnancy, actually, I think that it's really important to avoid anything like that. 
the less that you can do that could cause potential harm, the less that you can do that can cause scarring, the less that you can do that can cause infection, the better. You don't want to, uh, to have to deal with that in the aftermath. That's part of why I don't like those, like I said, uh, using essential oils. Like, you know, I, have, I literally have patients come in and go, well, I'm pregnant. And so I started using like this oil on my face. I'm like, why? How do those relate? <laughs> but somehow it felt like natural and good to apply the oil that their friend gave them. Right. And what ends up happening, they get an allergic reaction to it because they're sensitive. And then now I have to treat a pregnant woman for like a full contact dermatitis, you know, allergy. So they don't, so no one really needs to throw out their products whenever they get pregnant, unless they're using a retinoid, right? Yep. So retinoids, I don't like retinoids in pregnancy. And the data there is based on the fact that we know oral forms, pill forms of it are very harmful. And so we assume there's some absorption and through the skin. So retinoids, you really don't want to use in pregnancy. There's some other medications like, you know, salicylic acid or benzoyl peroxide that are commonly found in over-the-counters that are like, probably okay, but maybe not the best. And so we tend to avoid them unless we need them, but in the right patient, sometimes we need them. Retinoids actually get a very bad rap in lactation. So when women are breastfeeding, they're often told to continue to avoid them. That has not been shown as long as it's not on your nipple and not being fed to the baby. Actually, most dermatologists still won't give tretinoin to to lactating women because they say, oh, well, why not? Let's just be safe about it. But again, as someone that did sort of long-term breastfeeding with their children, like, I know why not. I would have wanted to start a retinoid earlier. And the data is just not there. The data is actually that tretinoin is really poorly absorbed through your skin. You have to remember that your skin was created as a barrier. It's, that's its actual function is to keep things out of your body. And so that tretinoin that's going on just your face is not really absorbing very well. So I think fine to use in lactation as long as it doesn't come in contact with the baby. Okay. That's good news for nursing mamas. I love that. Okay. So microdermabrasion, can we do that in pregnancy? No, again, I would not do, I actually in general, again, microdermabrasion, not my fave. (laughs) It's not my favorite modality. I like things that are incredibly controlled. I like to know exactly what I'm doing to your skin and exactly how you're going to heal from it. So for example, again, this is not to be done in pregnancy, but I love resurfacing type lasers and there's various forms. We have lasers that are called ablative lasers where the top layer of the skin is gone and you reheal fresh new skin. That's a little bit more intense. You've heard of fraxel or fractionated lasers. In those cases, you have tiny little areas of controlled damage that are created in the skin. And in that case, heat, your body then goes back and heals it. So you have brand new healed little areas of skin. And each time you repeat it, a different area of skin is being done. And then there's some other newer technologies that do other things. Like there's one that I use that has a little pop of pressure under the skin. And that little pop of pressure causes you to have this response where you create brand new skin there. So these are kind of more controlled ways than just abrading the top of the skin. But in pregnancy, no, again. And why do, why do I not like it in pregnancy? Your, your wound healing is not as good in pregnancy. So fundamentally, when you're doing dermabrasion or anything that's physical, you're creating wounds on the surface of the skin and then expecting someone with poor wound healing to come back and take care of it. There's always a risk of infection with something like that. And again, there's no need to introduce that to a pregnant woman. This is such good information. Like <laughs> I'm eating this up. So I know that, <laughs> know that our listeners will. All right. So hair loss, postpartum hair loss. We've yeah. got to talk about this. So it is called telogen effluvium. It's very common. While you're pregnant, you're retaining your hair. And so after pregnancy, it's like no longer needed. And so we lose the hair that we've retained plus a little bit more. The common thought is that you regain all your hair back, so don't panic. And that's true for many people. 
it can unmask what we call androgenic alopecia or female pattern hair loss, where women who are already prone to sort of losing hair based on the hormonal profile over time as they age, that pregnancy sort of jump starts there. They have the telogen effluvium, that pregnancy related hair loss. And then they start noticing, hey, when my hair grew back, it didn't quite grow back where it was, right? And that's because those two types of hair loss are sort of coming into play at the same time. For most women, it will come back. You'll get like, you know, crazy little hairs in the front of your head that you're going to have to deal with and it'll come back again. And there's really nothing that you have to do. Making sure your vitamin D levels are good, making sure you're taking enough iron, you're asking your body to create new hair and iron's an important element in that. So making sure that you have adequate iron intake and you're, you're sort of taking care of nutrition, all of that is super important as you're creating hair. And that will help with most people with telogen effluvium. The time to go maybe see a dermatologist for a workup for hair loss is if you've lost your hair postpartum and you're not noticing that hair growth coming back. Um, so I know it starts around four months that we yeah. start seeing that hair loss. You know, you're in the shower and all of a sudden you've oh got gobs. And gobs. <laughs> so I think it is important to remember that it's self-limited, but when should we see that return of hair growth? I've always said like six to 15 months. It's very bearable. Six months is when most people maybe start seeing it. I wouldn't panic if you don't see it at six months. You know, we're all unique individuals, but exactly that sort of timeline. By a year, most women have short little hairs that are coming in and they go from there, but it does just start to grow in with time. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.